All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, I would ask that you go ahead and open them up to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We are just flying through this book, are we not? I know we are, and so don't worry, it's about to get real slow before long. We covered all of chapter 7 last week. Very rarely do you, will you ever find your pastor cover a whole chapter in one worship service or one teaching setting. That is almost impossible for me to do. But we are going to try to cover all of chapter 8 tonight. As you're finding your place there in your Bible, uh, I, I do want to encourage you all to pray in one other area that I failed to mention a moment ago. You know, there are a number of families who are getting ready to send children off to college. I know my family is one of those. We have several other families here in the church. Uh, And that, you know, many of y'all have already experienced that. Uh, I've experienced it once, but even being experienced it already once, it doesn't make it any easier the second time. And so, uh, y'all please pray for those families. I know that... um, Several, there's the Herbricks that are getting ready to send a a child to school, their first child to school, and then we'll be sending Zoe to school. And so, and there's a number of other people that are sending children off to colleges. And so, we're just praying that um, God would work in their, their lives in this season of their life and that God has something great in store for them. And so, praying that they'll remain strong in their faith and they'll live their lives for the Lord and that they'll make wise decisions that would honor and glorify God. So we had about seven or eight graduates this year, and so there's a number of other families that will be sending off children as well. So I know it's, I'm not looking forward to it. August the 18th, I have to take my daughter over there and drop her off and leave her and then come back home without her. And so I'm, not, I'm looking forward to that. She's excited, but I'm not near as excited as she is. So, all right, I hope that you have opened your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. If you've not been with us on Wednesday night, we are walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Revelation. We're calling this study the Lion and the Lamb because that is how Jesus Christ is referred to or revealed to us in this book. I've shared with you a number of times the thrust of this book is really all about Jesus Christ, his character and his nature, and that's what we see being revealed to us. As we picked up in chapter 4, we took this literal futuristic approach to the events that are happening in chapter 4 through the end of this book, recognizing that there's a lot of symbolic language that is found in chapter 4 to the end of the book due to the fact that it is written in apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature is always symbolic in its nature. But in spite in, in, in realizing that, it doesn't change the fact, even though there's symbolic language that is used, that these events that are being described are literal events that are going to happen one day in the future. And I hope that we can all agree upon that. I think in the very first lesson, I shared with you there's some things that we all need to agree upon as we approach the book of Revelation. One of the things is, is that there are literal events that are being described that are going to happen one day in the future. Now, if you were here last Wednesday night, I started our lesson by sharing something that was going to guide us through the rest of this study, uh, really beginning in chapter 6, moving through to the end. I shared with you, we see a reoccurring pattern beginning in chapter 6 that is going to follow us through the rest of this book. That pattern is this, there is a series of seven that is introduced to us, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. 
Six of those of those seven are rapidly introduced. They happen one right after another. And then after the sixth one, there is a pause. And then the seventh of the group is revealed. And when the seventh of the group is revealed, God's judgment, his wrath that he is pouring out upon the earth intensifies each and every time. Now, we've seen that beginning back in chapter 6. If you remember in chapter 6, we had the first six seals that were opened by Jesus Christ. And they happened in rapid succession of one another, right after one another. And then all of a sudden, there was a pause, wasn't there? The pause was chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. We looked at it last week. And you remember what we learned there? Even in the midst of God's judgment, we have the opportunity to see God's grace and His mercy. Isn't God such a good God? He's gracious and merciful. Even in the midst of the tribulation period, God still allows people to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, trusting Him as their Lord and Savior. That is a gracious and a merciful God, isn't it? Now, on the heels of that, here comes chapter 8. And in chapter 8, the pause was chapter 7. In chapter 8, the seventh seal will be opened by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And when the seventh seal is opened, what it reveals are seven trumpets that will be sounded and after each trumpet there is a judgment that God places upon the nations of the earth. So we're going to pick up here and we're going to begin to read in chapter 8 verse 1 through verse 5 and really what I would like to do I would like to kind of split this chapter into two parts. The first five verses really kind of serves as the introduction for the rest of the chapter. What is getting ready to take place in, in verses 8 all the way to the end of chapter 9. So I want us to begin reading right here in chapter 8. If you have your Bibles there, just follow along. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to pause. And what we're going to do in verses 1 through 5, we're going to unpack several things that we need I'm in trouble. I put my notes over here thinking that my prayer, that was my prayer guide, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done with my notes? We're in a lot of trouble, and so, but I found them, and so that's important anyway. So I don't know that I could I could share everything that I had planned shared if I don't have some notes in front of me. But anyway, we're going to look at these first five verses, and then we're going to stop, and we're just going to unpack some things that we need to understand in these verses that's really going to set the context for the rest of chapter 8. So if you want to just follow along there, we're going to begin reading in chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's been a lot that's been written about this half an hour of silence. I will share with you what one old pastor said. He said, based on this verse, he realizes, he recognizes there are no women in heaven because there were 30 minutes of silence. <laughs> now, I didn't say that. That was not me. That was a pastor. Actually, I heard that joke from one of the men in our church today. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he was sharing that very thing. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's not at all the reason why there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. The reason there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes is what 
was revealed when the seventh seal was opened. When the seventh seal opens, it reveals, as I stated earlier, these seven trumpets that will be sounded announcing the judgment of God that is about to fall on earth. And these judgments that are about to fall on earth, well, let me just say something. They intensify. They are catastrophic in comparison to the six seals that were opened in chapter 6. Now let's go back here and listen to what he said. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, and filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So let's just pause right there for a moment. There are several things going on here that I think we need to have a better understanding that is going to prepare us for the rest of this chapter. The first thing that I want you to notice is the seven angels that we are introduced to. These seven angels, well, they've been given a very important task. They've been given a special task. It is these seven angels that receive these seven trumpets that they will eventually sound, beginning in verse 8, about the impending judgments of God. So we see that. Now, in the Bible, trumpets were very significant, and they served a number of different purposes. Let me quickly just walk you through the purposes that trumpets served when we see them in the Bible. First, trumpets were oftentimes used to announce public gatherings. They were used to announce. It was to gather a group of people for some type of important announcement that would take place. We see this happening a number of times in the wilderness when Moses is leading the children of wilderness, I mean the children of Israel over to the promised land. He would have the trumpet blown and what would happen? The children of Israel would gather together at the tabernacle and oftentimes Moses would communicate something that God had communicated to him. He was the mouthpiece of God. So sometimes trumpets were used to announce public gatherings. Other times trumpets were used to announce war. To announce war. Do y'all remember a story in the Old Testament where trumpets were used to announce a war? What, what, what is a famous Old Testament? We've been learning, we learned it from the time we were children. What was a famous Old Testament story where trumpets were sounded? Jericho. Jericho. Everybody knows that story, right? They did. They marched around the city of Jericho, and on that last day, they blew the trumpets, and what did they do? They went to war against the city. of. The walls came tumbling down, and they went in, and they destroyed the city of Jericho. So sometimes trumpets were used to announce a war. But there's a third reason that trumpets were used in the Bible. Trumpets were blown to announce a special event, a special event, such as the anointing of a king or the dedication of the temple. Most scholars, and I agree with them, that it is this third purpose for the use of trumpets in this passage of Scripture. They are getting ready to make an announcement. And the announcement they are getting ready to make is unlike anything that the peoples of the earth have ever experienced. 
they are getting ready to announce the judgment of God upon the nations of the earth. It is an announcement. So each time a trumpet is sounded, there is a judgment that follows. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So we have these seven angels that's been given this special task, and their task is to sound the trumpet and to announce the judgment that is about to happen. Now, there is another angel, an individual angel, that is spoken about in this text as well. I want you to go back and listen. He says in verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So there's this individual individual angel that seems to be at the throne of God, the altar that stands before the throne of God, and he is there offering incense. Now, who is this angel? Well, we're not really sure who this angel is. There's been much speculation through the years about who this angel is. Some people say, well, really the angel is Jesus Christ, but I don't think that's true because nowhere do we ever see Jesus Christ veiled in the book of Revelation. It is always clear who Jesus Christ is. He's always referred to as what? The Lamb of God. Or he's referred to as the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords. He is always very clearly announced as to who he is. We're never left to guess who Jesus Christ is in the book of Revelation. So I don't think this is Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, we just don't, we simply don't know who this angel is. But we do notice what it is that he is doing. And I want you to notice several things that he is doing in this passage of Scripture. First, it says he is offering incense before the throne of God. He is offering incense before the throne of God. Now, that's very important. The two things that we see happening here or I'm sorry, offering incense before the God represents two very, I mean, before the throne of God represents two very important things. First, it represents worship. This was an act of worship. When the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year and appear before the altar of God, he would bring incense with him. And he would burn it before the offering, I mean the altar of God. And the reason he would do that, it was an act of devotion. It was an act of worship. So what is this angel doing? Well, he's worshiping the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's what he's doing. I shared with you one of the things that is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Revelation is worship. Chapters 4 and chapter 5, do you remember when we looked at those chapters? What did we see happening? It was being described, this awesome worship scene taking place in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And that's really what it concentrated on. So that's what we see over and over again taking place in heaven is the worship of the Lord. That's what's happening here. The second thing is, it doesn't just represent worship, it also represents the prayers of the saints. That's what he says here in this passage of Scripture. You know, for years, God's people have prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. That prayer is about to be answered by God in this scene. Now listen, folks, you want to know what's getting ready to happen here? God is getting ready to go to war against the kingdom of Satan. That's what's getting ready to happen. 
And let me say this. God will be victorious. He is going to win the battle. And what will take place is Jesus Christ's kingdom will be established on earth. He'll reign for a millennial. We'll see that later on in this book. But what I want us to notice here is God is preparing to go to war. again. He's getting ready to answer the prayers of the saints, that the prayers that have been offered through the years. That's what's getting ready to take place as he begins to breathe out, rain out these judgments on the people of the earth. Now, I want us to understand something about the prayers of the saints. These prayers, they were not offered up for the sake of vengeance. That's not why these prayers were offered up. This is a cry for God to uphold His holy law and vindicate His people. That's what's going on here. And God is going to respond to the prayers of the saints. Now I want you to notice something else that happens here. The second thing that we see this angel doing before the throne of God there at the altar, listen to what it says here. In the smoke of verse 4, in the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose up before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of, flashes of lightning, and earthquakes. What is going on? What is taking place? What does this censer filled with fire symbolize? Well, this is what it symbolizes. God is about to rain judgment down on earth. Actually, this censer being filled with fire closely resembles what we read written by the prophet Ezekiel in his book when he spoke about that. I encourage you sometime to go over and read the book of Ezekiel and see some of the things that are spoken about there in the book of Ezekiel and how closely they resemble what is seen in the book of Revelation. I think you'll find that they parallel at times, won't you? So this is what we see happening. So this is the scene that is getting ready to take place. This is the setting of this chapter. Now, when we begin to pick up here in verse 6, moving forward, we're going to begin to see these different judgments, these trumpets sounded in these judgments, and they're going to be revealed to us what each one of them look like. So this is the second part that I want to share with you. And the second part begins here in verse 6 and really carries all the way over to the end of chapter 9 because what we're going to see is these seven trumpets that are going to be revealed, actually six of them that will be revealed in these verses. Now this is what I want you to do. And this is a very unique study. I want to encourage you to do this sometime. But I want you to notice how closely some of these judgments that are pronounced here in this chapter, how closely they resemble some of the plagues that God sent on Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt. So let's pick up reading right here, and let's see how far we can get. We'll just see how far we can go here, beginning in verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Now, Let's pause right here and just let me remind you of the significance of that number seven. 
We've talked about that number seven a number of times, a, a number of different times. I shared with you numbers and them meaning words and names. There's a word for that. It's called gematria. It's the study of numbers. It goes all the way back to the Hebrew language. Now, what does the number seven mean? Perfect. It's oftentimes referred to as the perfect number. It means something that is complete, fulfilled, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see these judgments are complete. They are fulfilling God's will as his wrath is being poured out on earth. So listen to what it says here in verse 7. Here is this first trumpet. This first trumpet, the judgment of God is going to be hail, fire mixed with blood. Listen to what it says here. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, when we hear that, this judgment that is being sent out here by God upon the earth, one-third of all of the vegetation of the earth is being consumed, is being burned up. What, what plague does this sound a lot like that God brought upon the nation of Egypt. What is it? What was this plague here? It was the plague of hail, fire mixed with blood. What does that sound like? Does anybody remember a plague like that that God brought upon the nation of Egypt? Anybody know the name? Well, he did turn water into blood. Southeast Texas weather. So something like that, huh, brother? It feels like that outside at times. Actually, this judgment here closely resembles the seventh plague. If you go over and you read in the book of Exodus in the seventh plague, do you remember what happens? Moses lifts his hands toward the heavens, and God rains down thunder, hail, and fire for three days upon the nation of Egypt. And all of the crops were destroyed, all of the livestock that remained was destroyed. And this judgment right here seems to closely parallel what we see happen to the nation of Egypt. I like to refer to this, this particular judgment as the ecological disaster. Because that's exactly what has taken place here. One third of all of the vegetation on the earth is utterly destroyed. Now, I want you to think with me a moment about the repercussions of a disaster like this. Can you imagine one third of all of the vegetation of earth being burned up? This would have a huge effect on the balance of nature. For animals to live, live, they need a source of food. They need grains and they need grasses. One third of all of the vegetation on earth has now been destroyed. How would that affect the animals of the earth? Another repercussion of this would be this. What about the fruit and the dairy and the meat production that happens? One third of all of the earth has been destroyed by fire. So not only do we just see the animals affected by this judgment, but what else, what else do we see happening here? Mankind has now been fact, What is taking place? There's going to be food shortages, right? You remember last week I shared with you how the Antichrist will control the world? One of the ways that he will control the world 
is by having access to food. We have to have food to live. And in order to receive the nourishment that people will need at this time, what is going to take place is they will have to bow their knee to the Antichrist, acknowledging that he is God, Lord, and then they will be able to receive enough food to live. He will be the one who controls all of the food of the earth. And as a result of controlling the food of the earth, he will control the masses of the earth as well. So we see this ecological disaster that takes place as a result of this first trumpet. Now go back with me here, and I want us to see this second trumpet, the second angel, beginning in verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So let's just pause right here. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like a plague that God brought upon the nation of Egypt? What plague was that? Does anyone remember the plague? It was the first plague, wasn't it? Remember what took place? God turned the river Nile into blood. And that's exactly what happens here. There's been much speculation over exactly what takes. Some people believe this is maybe some kind of meteorite that falls from the heavens, outer space, and affects the seas. We're not really sure what it is. We don't know. But I like to refer to this as an economic disaster. Can you imagine one-third of all of the ships in the world being destroyed? I did a little research online. I went online to find out what are the numbers or how many ships are registered in the world today. Almost 60,000 merchant ships are registered throughout the world. Now, just think about this for a moment. Remove one-third of all of those ships. Can you imagine how this would affect the world's economy if you just wiped out one-third? I mean, think about this for a moment. Didn't we see something sort of like this when COVID happened and countries began to shut down? What happened to the world's economy? Yeah, remember the millions and the billions of dollars that were lost as a result of COVID-19 when we shut the world down out of fear? So I want you to think about this. Can you imagine the economic disaster that is going to take place when you remove one-third of all of the ships? Think about the number of livelihoods that are lost, the number of lives that are lost, and don't, think, don't forget about this, the number of lost transport of goods from one, na from one continent to another because now you have one-third less ships. This would be a major economic disaster in our world. He's going to go on here and he's going to announce this third trumpet. I want you to listen to what he says here. Look at what he says here in verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven. 
blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So, you can't live without fresh water. I mean, it's utterly impossible for us to live without a source of water. Actually, they say that the human body can only survive three or four days without water. We can survive a long time without food, but we can't survive very long without water. We're not sure exactly what this is. There's been a number of explanations that have been offered. Some people say this is a reference to chemical warfare. Other people say this is an asteroid that falls from the sky. I don't know, and I don't even know that that's really important that we try to understand exactly what it is as much as we understand the event that is going to take place. This word wormwood here actually means bitter. It's a plant, and the chemical that is extracted from the plant has a very bitter taste. And the reason it's so bitter is because what is extracted from the plant is a poison. It's deadly poison. And if it gets into your source of drinking water, well, let me say this, the water is no longer fit to drink at that time. It is said that there are over a hundred major freshwater waterways in the world. Thirty of them exist on the continent of North America. Did you know that? major freshwater waterways. Can you imagine if there's a hundred, around a hundred freshwater waterways and a third of them are removed? Think about the numbers of people that will affect throughout the world. Think about the numbers of people that will die as a result of a lack of clean drinking water. Did you know on the continent of Africa, more people die every year from two things. One, a lack of source of clean drinking water, the other, malaria. Because if you don't have clean drinking water, it produces all kinds of diseases. You don't hear a whole lot in America any longer about cholera. You know, that seems like that was years ago, back in the 1800s when there was cholera. You remember that? Well, every year in Zambia, when we lived there, there would be a village that would be, would be stricken with cholera. And sometimes there would be as many as four or 500 people that would die as a result of it. Bad water. Bad water. And so, here is what we see, this fourth I mean, this third judgment here, this third trumpet that is sounded and announces this judgment is obviously going to be an issue. The fresh water is going to be poisoned. I like to refer to this judgment as the environmental disaster because that is exactly what is going to happen. Now, I want us to pause right here before we move on to this last one because I want to remind us of something that I believe is of great importance. I want to remind us not to limit these judgments by the laws of science. Because sometimes that's what we want to do, right? We want to limit these judgments based on what we know about science. But I want to remind us of something here. 
we should not forget these are divinely controlled judgments. Divinely controlled judgments. And as a result of that, they don't fall under the umbrella of the laws of science. They fall under control of God. And because God is sovereign and He rules alone, He can choose to do whatever He wants to do. And so that's important for us to remind ourselves. Now this fourth trumpet is going to sound, and this is what we're going to see. Look here with me at verse 12. He says, The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Now, I want us to think about the first three judgments. The first three judgments only affected a third of the earth. This judgment here affects the entire earth. I mean, think about it for a moment. Third less sun in the day, third less light at night. What would be the repercussions of third less sun in a day? Does anyone know? I'm sorry? Less produce, less eggs. Global winter. The temperature would change dramatically. But not only that, did you know the sunlight affects our overall health? Yeah, I bet you Miss Leslie Reese could tell us about that, huh? You know what they told me when I had COVID? This is what the doctor told me. You need to get out in the sunlight every single day. You know why? Because you get natural vitamin D from the sunlight, and your body needs vitamin D to fight the COVID that's in your body. I want you out 20 minutes in the morning walking in the sun, and I want you out 20 minutes in the afternoon walking in the sun. Because these are certain nutrients that we get from the sun. That helps protect our health. But when you have a third less of that, but not only that, did you know there's something else when darkness falls upon a people that it does to them? It affects them mentally. It causes major depression in their life. Do you know what state in America has the highest rate of suicide? Alaska. Do you know why that is? It has the least amount of light. You see, eventually in Alaska, at some point in time, there's going to be 24 hours of darkness. You see, we don't really think a lot about how the light, the sun, and the moon, and the stars affect us. But just as Brother Marty said earlier, it affects the growth cycle of plants and animals producing and things of that nature as well. It affects the tides in the ocean. All of that is affected by the moon phases and the sun. Can you begin to imagine, can you begin to see a picture in your mind of how this is going to catastrophically affect the earth when these judgments begin to play out? Let me say this. It is not going to be a pretty sight. But also let me say this. These are only the first four. Because at the end of this fourth one, there's going to be an interlude. And you know what the interlude is going to be? It is going to be a warning from heaven. 
And this is the warning from heaven that's going to be sounded. You think the first four were bad? Hold on. Wait to the next three. Listen to what it says here. Then I looked, verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell upon the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Just hang on. Wait for just a moment. You ain't seen nothing yet is what's being announced. Now I want you to notice this. It is this eagle crying out with a loud voice that it flew directly overhead. Who is this eagle? Most people believe it's one of those four living creatures. Remember, there was one of those four living creatures. And he's making this pronouncement as he is circling the heavens. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There are still three more judgments to come. That's what he's announcing here. Now, look very carefully at this phrase here because it's a very unique phrase, and I don't want us to misunderstand it, to those who dwell on the earth. Now, when he uses this phrase, he is not referring to all inhabitants of the earth. What he is referring to with this phrase is a certain kind of people, and that is the way it is rendered out in the Greek. The certain kind of people, well, the ones that he is referring to are the ones who had a love for the earth and for the things of the earth. You see, they were a part of the kingdom of this world, and they served Satan. He is pronouncing unto them a grave warning Hold on to your hats. There is more to come, yet God is not finished. That's what he's saying here. Now, I'm going to tell you what. If I wasn't a believer, this passage of Scripture right here would scare my pants off of me. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear, do we? Because we're not going to be here. I don't know. I'm not going to be here. I hope you're not going to be here. We're going to be in heaven. But what's being played out here on earth is catastrophic. Folks, it is horrendous what is taking place. They are experiencing the full wrath of God. That's what's taking place. You know, as I stepped away from this passage of Scripture, I thought to myself these words. What I thought to myself is this, is every person is a part of one of two kingdoms. They are either a part of the kingdom of this world and they serve Satan through the actions of their life. It doesn't matter what their words say. They serve him through the actions of their life. Or they are citizens of the kingdom of God, and they serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. This chapter right here calls for every one of us to pause and examine ourselves and challenge ourselves to see if we are in the faith. That's what the Bible encourages us to do, doesn't it? The Word of God challenges us over and over again to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. Now, when it says for us to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, it's not talking about going and looking at good works and trying to determine if we've done enough good works to earn salvation. That's not what it's talking about. It's asking us to examine our life, to honestly evaluate whether or not we have trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Folks, there is salvation found in no one else except for Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved any other way. That's the only way.
And every person is a part of one or two kingdoms. And the question we must all ask ourselves tonight is, which kingdom am I a citizen of? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan? This world. All right, we're going to bring it to a close right there. We made it all the way through 13 verses in one night. Y'all are to, you are to celebrate, you know. And so we will jump in now. Uh, beginning next week as we begin to look at chapter 9, the next three judgments that are pronounced, well, let me just say, uh, they're going to be intense. And they're going to be very intense, and we're going to walk through them very slowly. Those tonight were pretty self-explanatory. But, yes, so most scholars, I'm glad you asked that. I had that in my notes. Most scholars believe we're at the midpoint of the tribulation period. Yes. Uh, and so they believe that chapters 8 through 10 of the book of Revelation is about the midpoint of the tribulation period. That the first six, so what's really happening in the beginning of the tribulation period, it seems as though uh, the Antichrist is establishing his rule on earth. He has brought peace among the nations. So I mean, think about it this uh, for a moment. If the church is raptured, that's millions of people that are just gone from the face of the earth. That would throw the earth, the nations of the earth, into utter chaos. You could even begin to see wars break out. Things of that nature begin to happen. There's this one who rises to power, the Antichrist. He signs an agreement between Jerusalem or the Israelites and the peoples of the Middle East and brings about peace. In the midst of that, the temple is being rebuilt. Most scholars believe at the midpoint what's going to take place, that is where things begin to change. He's going to begin to assert himself, the Antichrist. He's going to begin to rise up and present himself as God. And if you, you all the peoples of the earth, must bow down and worship me, and he's going to set up his throne in the temple. And that's what believes, that is where, that's what most people believe is happening right here in chapters 8 through 10. He has asserted his authority over the earth. He has now set himself up as God in the temple of God. And now God is going to do major war against the kingdom of Satan. No. Most, uh, a lot of people believe it will be built in the first three and a half years after the peace treaty is signed. And the reason that is, is he'll bring peace to the nations that are... I mean, think about it right now. It, it would be World War III if Israel tried to build a temple on the Temple Mount. It has one of the largest mosques in the world sitting on top of it right now. I mean, it would cause utter... It would, it would cause World War III to break out if they tried. If they tore down the mosque and they tried to rebuild the temple. There would be nothing. Did you have something, Miss Pat? Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly how long. I'd have to go back and look at it. It was 1,200 and something days, uh, if I remember correctly. So... Um, so some of these events...